0: Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will continue teaching us from Genesis chapter 20 about the overpowering effect of fear on Abraham's life when he encountered King Abimelech and exposed his wife Sarah to great danger. Now, Tom Cantor and his writings and materials and videos and teachings, many of them are available free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. We hope you will visit there and Take advantage of some of our free resources, but we've also got an online bookstore of many of Tom Cantor's materials that you can order in bulk or singularly. So go online to friendshipwithgod.org, click on resources, and you can look at Tom Cantor's materials and enjoy them. You can also find this message available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or at iTunes.com by searching for the Friendship with God podcast. Again, iTunes.com. Now, you can also donate to support this Bible teaching radio program by going to friendshipwithgod.org, clicking on the Donate button, and continuing to support the friendship with God with your prayers and listenership and your financial support that continues this Bible teaching radio program on this station. Now, we also have a resource this month, which is Tom Cantor's Life Story on DVD and in a booklet form. It's available to you for a lost Jewish person or a Gentile. You can get that for a donation of any amount. Uh, If you're Jewish or have a Jewish friend that's lost, that's free. You can order that at friendshipwithgod.org. But to support this program, if you'd like a a copy of it, you can order it at friendshipwithgod.org or calling us at 800-247-3051. Again, 800-247-3051. You can call us now or after the program, 800-247-3051. Help support the Friendship with God radio program. You can also get a copy of Tom Cantor's testimony on DVD and in a booklet form to give to your lost Gentile friend or Jewish friend. Now here's Tom Cantor teaching us today about the betrayal of Lot to his family, friends, and God, but how God was always faithful to Lot by remembering him.
1: And that's why he moved from place to place, because he was refusing to settle down because of all the sin around him, so he kept moving and stuff like that. But the question is, was this really Abraham's idea to do all this uprooting? Was this Abraham's idea to do all this moving? I mean, was it Abraham who said, if mean, you just look at Hebrews and you might, be, you might say, you know what, Abraham, quite a man, because he gets up and he says, so much sin in this place, I've had it, I'm moving on. I'm deciding now to uproot the people and move to a different place, and then, have, uh, then the sin there will get to me. I'm moving on for all my life. I'm going to move on, move on until I reach heaven. Is that the way it was? Is that the way it was? Was all this uprooting really Abraham's idea to keep himself and his family from becoming too attached to the world? Well, the answer is in our chapter in Genesis 20. Now notice what Abraham said to Abimelech in verse 13. Genesis 20, verse 13. And it came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said unto her, this is thy kindness that thou shalt show unto me at every place whither we shall come say of me, he's my brother. See, Abraham told Abimelech how it really was. And he says, you want to know what my life is? Color me a wanderer. I just wander from place to place. And then what he said to Abimelech is, you know what? Since God came to me, I have lived the life of a wanderer. I'm going from place to place. As a matter of fact, Abraham says to Abimelech, God caused me to do this. God caused me to wander. And Abimelech's probably looking at Abraham, this big entourage and all these tents, and he's probably saying to himself, why is it that you don't just settle down? Here's all the land, you go choose what you want. And what's with all these tents? But the way that Abraham explains it to Abimelech, God caused me to wander. And Abraham's making it very clear that this wandering was not Abraham's idea. <laughs> you know? He said, believe me. So Abraham is saying to Abimelech that if it was up to him, he would not choose this type of life of wandering, but God caused him to wander from his house. You know, he's like saying, my father's house wasn't so bad. God caused me to wander from my father's house. So, And then he says in verse 13, when he's speaking to Abimelech, at every place whither we shall come. So these words, at every place. So he could hear Abraham saying, Abimelech, you don't understand, it's been from one place after another, and it's going to be one place after another. I wish I could just settle down, stop all this wandering. Now, we don't want to go so far as to blame God or say it's God's fault. What we're saying here is that the most important word in verse 13 is the word caused. Caused. It was God who caused Abraham to move from place to place. It was God who caused Abraham to look for a city whose foundation and builder and maker is God. It was God who caused Abraham to wander from his father's house by calling him to go. Now, it was Abraham's choice as to whether or not he would say yes or no to God, but it was not Abraham's desire to all the time be wandering. When we received the Lord Jesus Christ, we said to him like Abraham did, anywhere, anytime, any place. you call it, I'll go. And when God saw that Abraham, with all of his riches, was in danger of not setting his hope and keeping his mind fixed on heaven, God caused him to wander and be uprooted. And that's the same with us. Like Abraham, we don't like to be uprooted and upset. But like Abraham, we want stability. Yes, who doesn't want stability? We want stability in our home, in our health, in our job, in our routine. But sometimes we have to say with Abraham, God caused me to wander and he uprooted me. Why? So God would cause Abraham to look for this city, to have this heart of looking for the city with the foundations of righteousness. And so we read that Abraham chose this place now. He's between Kadesh and Shur in this place called Gerar. Gerar is between Hebron and Beersheba. It's toward the west. But the word Gerar means a lodging place or a rest for travelers. Probably because it was on the way to Egypt and a place the travelers could stop and rest. But it was one of the five cities of the Philistines. And this is now Abraham's first contact with the people called the Philistines. The Philistines are the sea people. They're the ancient sea people. They were a vicious people. They were known for being good warriors. They had five cities. By the way, the word Palestine comes from the word Philistine. So the land of Canaan, that land over there, you can refer to that land as the land of Israel or you can refer to it as the land of Palestine. It's the same place, but to call that land Israel or Palestine has two different implications. The implications are who should possess the land. To call the land Israel is to imply that the land should be possessed by the people God gave it to, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Jewish people. But to call the land Palestine is to imply that the land should be possessed by the original inhabitants, the Philistines. This all goes back to replacement theology, where the belief is is that the church has replaced Israel and that this is a growing movement among Christians, where they no longer see the land of Israel, but now they see the land as Palestine. For example, John Piper said, and I'll quote here, the existence of Israel in the Middle East and the extent of her borders and her sovereignty are perhaps the most explosive factors in world terrorism, and the most volatile factors Mm are in the Arab-West relations. Now, Abraham is moving into this area. And the Hebrew word used in verse 1 for dwell is not another word. This word is the word gur. And gur means to live as a stranger or as an alien. It doesn't have the same meaning as the other word that's used for dwell, the other Hebrew word for dwell, which is to abide or shakan, what we talked about before. That was the word that God used to describe his tabernacle. In Exodus 25, 8, when he said, Let them make me a sanctuary, that's the tabernacle, that I may dwell, shakan, among them, which is why the the tabernacle in Hebrew is called the mishkan, or God referring to God's dwelling place, his abiding place. But the Hebrew word used here in verse 1 is not shakan, as in abiding, settling down, being comfortable, it's the word gur. And gur means to live, as I said, as a stranger and alien. It also has Behind it, the meaning of fear. Because in Deuteronomy 32, 27, this verse appears where it says, Were it not that I feared the wrath of the enemy? That's the word gur. Were it not that I gur, that I feared the wrath of the enemy? See, gurd has this connotation of being afraid. That's why it's used in Job 19:29, where Job says, Be ye afraid of the sword. And there's the word gur for afraid. Be ye gur, afraid of the sword, for wrath bringeth the punishments of the sword, that you may know there is a judgment. So in verse 1, where it says that Abraham dwelt there, and the fact that the Hebrew word gur is used, it means that Abraham lived there as a stranger in fear. He was, a, he was afraid to be there. And this fear that Abraham had of living as a stranger in the Philistine helps us to understand why he did what he did which is the next verse. It's been a very disturbing time for Abraham. And uh, yes, he had the peace and assurance that we spoke of, but he's like us. You know, one minute singing, What have I to fear? What have I to dread? Leaning on the everlasting arms. I have blessed peace with my Lord so near. And then the next minute, we're running scared. And we're not leaning on the everlasting arms. So he's not leaning on the everlasting arms. What is now happening to poor Abraham? He's just seen the total destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. He hasn't seen a lot. And he's so upset, and now he sees this more of these God-rebellious, god defiant people, like just got destroyed, the Philistines. And he's just flat out, plain afraid. And to make matters worse, he's got a beautiful wife. <laughs> Sarah's is just so beautiful. I mean, she must have been. I mean, she's 89 years old. And she's just plain beautiful. You know, not many senior citizens qualify. <laughs> like sarah did you know but when abraham looked at sarah he said in genesis 12 11 and it came to pass when he was come near to into egypt that he said unto sarah his wife behold now i know that thou art a fair woman to look upon that's the only time in the bible where we read abraham knew he said i know <laughs> it was over the beauty of sarah she was very pretty and there was a beauty in sarah that evidently everyone saw she was just so beautiful But Abraham said, in essence, he was saying to her, your beauty is going to kill me. (laughs) I'm going to die because you're so beautiful. So this was Abraham's weakness. This was what he was afraid. He was afraid of being killed because of Sarah's beauty because someone else would want her for his wife. So he says to Sarah, look, if you say you're my sister, he says to himself, look, you say you're my sister, and it'll all make sense because they'll look at me and they'll see how handsome I am. (laughs) and they'll say yep they go together okay that's a joke (laughs) sorry why in the world did abraham do this again i mean we've seen abraham do this in egypt i mean this is all deja vu all over again and we've seen that he's gone down this terrible road but sarah and abraham they made this agreement somehow they came to this agreement like we read about in genesis 12 and this is like the old agreement it's revived again And Sarah is going along with it. She's submissive to Abraham. She calls Abraham her Lord in chapter 18, verse 12. So when Abraham got into this Philistine city, he starts saying this again, verse 2. Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she's my sister, she's my sister, she's my sister. It was very wrong for Abraham to have done this because he exposed her to great danger. He endangered Sarah. And when we see this old fear just returns to Abraham and he is afraid he's going to be killed. Now to us, we look at this and we say, what's with you, Abraham? We look at this and we say, this is so unreasonable. This is so illogical. It's just hard for us to understand how you could be gripped by this fear. That's the way fear is. Fear is not logical. When it comes, it removes from us the ability to think. Fear, all Abraham saw was just fear. And when fear grips us, that's all we see, is fear, nothing else. Fear has a voice. Fear has a very loud voice, and it's an overpowering voice. And when it speaks, it overpowers the voice that says, you know, God loves you, and God will take care of you. Fear has a voice that overpowers that. Fear has a voice that overpowers all the promises of the Bible, And this overpowering voice, you can see it in verse 11, Genesis 20, verse 11, where Abraham says, Because I thought, it says, Surely the fear of God is not in this place. They will slay me for my wife's sake. See, in verse 11, when it says, Abraham said, Because I thought, the Hebrew word for thought is amar. It means to say, to speak. So when Abraham says in verse 20, "Because, Because I said, is the way it should read. Because I said, surely the fear of God is not in this place. So Abraham is saying that he just keeps saying to himself over and over again, surely the fear of God is not in this place. Surely the fear of God is not in this place. And this was the fear that Abraham had that caused him to not hear anything else. So in verse 2, notice how God includes his two very important words about Sarah, it says that Sarah identifies her as his wife, which emphasizes how much he endangered Sarah. That was Abraham's wife that he said she's my sister. Now, in verse 2, we see Abimelech. By the way, Abimelech means the father of a king. It was a common name for these kings and the Philistines. They call them, there were several Abimelechs. We'll run into another one later. Just like there were a lot of pharaohs for the kings of Egypt, common name. So just as Abraham feared Abimelech would notice Sarah, and when he did not see her as the wife of Abraham, see, he feared that Abimelech would see Sarah as the wife of Abraham. And this is a very important point, because later on, Abimelech is going to reprove Sarah for not, uh, for not appearing as the wife of Abraham. But anyways, he was afraid of that, and so he wanted Abimelech to see Sarah as Abraham's sister. So, what happens? Abimelech takes Sarah to be his wife. Now, when we come to verse 3, But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night, and said unto him, Behold, thou art but a dead man for the woman which thou hast taken, for she is a man's wife. There's something very interesting in these verses 1 through 3. In verse, if you look at verses 1 and 2, and you track out the word and, you'll find that it appears six times in verses 1 and 2. However, in contrast, in verse 3, the and stops... And then there's just an abrupt but. The six times that and is used are like a downhill slide or steps going down. Verse one, and Abraham journeyed. That's the first step. And that's the first, and there, that's the first step down with the Abraham moved into enemy territory. And then in verse 1, and dwelled between Kadesh and Shur. See, that's the second and. That's the second step down. Remember, that's the word gur. And Abraham lived in fear. He was afraid. And then in verse 1, and sojourned in Gerar. That's the third and step down. With Abraham lived there as a foreigner. He lived as a foreigner. And then in verse 2, And Abraham said of, his wife, said of Sarah his wife, She is my sister. That's the fourth. And stepped down. With And Abraham resorted to his old shield of lies, calling Sarah his sister. And verse 2, And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent. See, that's the fifth. And stepped down. With Abimelech, sure enough, noticed Sarah, and he sent men for her. And then in verse 2, and took Sarah. So that's the sixth, that's the last, that's the sixth step, the and step down, and Abimelech's men took Sarah away from Abraham. Now those are the six and steps down, 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 down. And we expect from those ands that there would be four more and steps down, which we expect would have been and Sarah had a baby with Abimelech, and abraham died without having the promised baby with sarah and god's promises of sending the redeemer through abraham and save man were stopped and there was no salvation for man and all men went to hell that's the last four ands that are not there that's where all this was heading with these six ands from verses one and two is they're stepping down to what's going to happen. But those four more ands that are not written did not happen because verse 3 stopped it with the words, but God came. See, verse 3 but God came to Abimelech in a dream by night an and said, Behold, thou art but a dead man. See, those three words are wonderful words, but God came. That's God's intervention. See, Abraham had made a mess of it all. And it was one end after another as steps down a course for a total catastrophe, but God came. And those three words in verse 3, you could call those the theme of the Bible, but God came. Adam sinned in the garden. He made a mess of it all. With Adam, it was one and after another, blaming his wife and so forth, as steps down on a course for all people on the road to a total catastrophe of hell, but God came. And what he did when he came, he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. See, God intervened and stopped the ands. He stopped the and steps down to hell by coming and giving a son. And to stop Adam's race, and stepped to perishing. That was the world's verse 3, but God came, John three sixteen. Those three words in verse 3 are the theme in our lives. Because we all sinned, we all made a mess of our lives, and it was for us one end after another on our steps downward on our course for each one of us to a total catastrophe to end in hell. But God came and stopped it. And what did he do when he came? In Romans 5, 8, he commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, he intervened, he stopped the end. He stopped those and steps down to hell by coming and loving us while we were yet sinners and dying for our sins. That's our personal verse 3. But God came. And what happened in verse 3 when God came? We read that God came right to his man, Abimelech. And we read that God came to Abimelech in a dream by night. He spoke so clearly to Abimelech that there was no question for Abimelech, as to what God said. You know, there are three characteristics about God. He's omnipresent, which means that God's everywhere. And Abimelech was about to see how God was everywhere. He's omniscient, which means that God knows everything. And Abimelech was about to see how God knows everything. He's omnipotent, which means that God is all-powerful, and Abimelech was about to see that. We don't know the details, but we know that Abimelech had not yet come near Sarah. So Abimelech was preparing to sleep with Sarah. So the omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent God comes to Abimelech in his sleep, in a dream by night when Abimelech is sleeping. Abimelech was preparing for new life from a baby with Sarah. So the omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent God says to Abimelech that he was a dead man, speaking of life. He was, Abimelech was preparing for sexual act of marriage with Sarah. So the omnipotent, the omnipresent, the omniscient, God did something related to the sexual acts of marriage. We don't know the details. We don't need to know the details. But whatever God did is described in verse 18, for the Lord had fast closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah Abraham's wife. So from that, Abimelech came to personally know just how omniscient, just how omnipresent, Just now how omnipotent God is, even into his bedroom. As it says in verse 3, God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, You are but a dead man. Father, we thank you so much for how much you cared. And we thank you for these three words, but God came. We thank you for stopping the catastrophe in Abraham's life. We thank you for stopping the catastrophe in the world. We thank you for stopping the catastrophe in our lives by coming, and from heaven to earth, to be our Savior. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thank you for joining Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program today. Would you like to send a note or email to Tom Cantor? You can do it by emailing Tom Cantor, and his email address is tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.com. Org. That's Tom, T-O-M, Cantor, C-A-N-T-O-R, Tom Cantor, at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or write him at P.O. Box seven one one three three zero. That's P.O. Box seven one one three three zero, 330 Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. That's P.O. Box seven one one three three zero, 330 Santee, California, 92071 or Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Let them know how much you enjoy the program. You can also support us by going online to friendshipwithgod.org and donating online there or calling us at 800-247-3051. Now, Tom Cantor has a resource that we're offering you this month. It's called Tom Cantor's 18-Day Calvary CPR Book. It's a wonderful book that will teach you about how to meditate on Scripture and to pray back to God. Now, this Calvary CPR book, which stands for conversational prayer reading, is really what's called Bible breathing, as Tom Cantor puts it. It's reading a verse and then immediately responding back to God in prayer. And this Calvary CPR and Bible breathing book brings to life the scriptures because man was not a living soul until god breathed into him the breath of life and scripture the word of god is called god breathe now the lord jesus christ is also called the word and the scriptures have no life in them themselves but with the living lord jesus christ as the word the scriptures impart life through his spirit unto us and we receive life from the scriptures when the living lord jesus christ himself re-speaks to us scriptures Individually, Now, our Bible reading is then transformed from monotonous to momentous when from off the surface of the paper and ink leap these verses into our minds and we come away with the marvel that the living Lord Jesus Christ just spoke to us. Now, Calvary CPR, the 18-day book from Tom Cantor, will teach you how to have conversational prayer reading, Bible breathing. And it's yours for a donation of $20 or more to the Friendship with God radio program. We want to send this book to you as our resource and our thanks to you for supporting the Friendship with God radio program with that $20 or more donation. So call us now at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Get the 18-day Calvary CPR book from Tom Cantor. 800-247-3051. Again, 800-247-3051 or go online to friendshipwithgod.org to donate or to go to our resources section with our online bookstore, friendshipwithgod.org or again, call us at 800-247-3051. Thanks for supporting Tom Cantor, the Friendship with God radio program. We hope you call us for our resource of the month and we thank you for your listenership and your support of the Friendship with God radio program. Again, 800-247-3051 or friendshipwithgod.org. Thanks for listening, and join us tomorrow.